Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. What happens when God manifests His presence in those suddenly dunamis moments? In the darkest of times, He calls us to be lighthouses that can guide the way. Listen as Doug provides powerful insight into how God is working through current world circumstances. Throughout the implosions and explosions, we are part of an unshakable kingdom. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Like all of you, on that Saturday, October 7th, I began to get text messages and messages and emails and calls from Israel and from others saying, have you seen the news? When we turned the TV on, we were just so overwhelmed because we felt helpless in some ways. And so we went to our knees and we prayed. And one of the prayers that I've been praying for years uh, out of Isaiah 37 is that when King Hezekiah was going through major threats and the nations around were trying to come and take over and destroy Israel and Judah and that region and the Jewish people, And he cried out to God. He took the letters because he said, this is a day of trouble, contempt, and blasphemy. It's overwhelming. And now all of us individually have gone through times where we've been overwhelmed by stress and anxieties in our lives. And then you compound that with what we saw in the news last Saturday morning, October 7th. I pray often like Hezekiah and I take those petitions before the Lord and the accusations of the enemy and on behalf of Israel and the peace of the Middle East and the peace for Jerusalem as we're commanded to pray. It's not a request, it's a command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We just go to our knees, we begin to pray and say, Lord, even as Hezekiah prayed in a time of distress, in a time of blasphemy, in a time of tension, in a time of threats of attack by the enemy. And he said, Lord, this is a day of trouble and distress. For the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. God, you have birthed Israel, and we gathered them after these thousands of years, gathered them, Lord, back into their land that you had promised them by covenant promise. Lord, that even the United Nations acknowledged in 1948 the reestablishment of the land that belongs to the state of Israel. And yet ever since, Lord, it's been constant attack of the enemy spiritually and literally by those who hate the Jews and hate Israel and want to destroy them. And yet, Lord, you've always been faithful to protect them and look out for them. And for those of us who pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So, Lord, as you see these threats and attacks even now, God, I pray and cry out that we would help give strength through intercession and prayer and in practical ways to stand for Israel and to pray for peace in the whole Middle East, Lord, realizing where these threats come from. It comes from generations of jealousies and envies and generations of wanting to take by force a covenant promise you gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet others have been trying to get and take by force the Father's blessing. So, Lord, I pray like Hezekiah, Lord, and I pray that we would give strength for the birthing and for the health and the strength of Israel. And now, Lord, I pray as Hezekiah came before you and placed the petitions of threat before you, and he said, Lord, you alone are God. You alone are God. Open your eyes to see. Incline your ears to hear. 
Lord, so we pray the same. We acknowledge that there is no other gods but you. You are the only God. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are a God of covenant promise, God. You are a God that through your son of love, through Jesus Christ, we have been grafted in, even as believers, we've been grafted in, God. And I pray that you would help us to give strength to deliver through our intercession and standing for your covenant promises for Israel. And we prayed like that. I'm reminded of even in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says that on the first day of the seventh month, and I thought that was July because I think in Gregorian ways, but if you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, it's talking about the first day of Tishri, the ecclesiastical year in the Jewish calendar, the first month of Tishri. But it was on the first day, in other words, of Rosh Hashanah, the new day, the new year in the Jewish calendar, on the first day, Nehemiah had Ezra get up and stand before the people as they were preparing to restore uh, Jerusalem and restore the temple. But to do that, you have to first restore the altar of worship. And you have to also offer ourselves as those living worshipers that we would see in Romans. It starts with us. That worship, and the first time we read it in Scripture, is not in the context of singing in instruments. That's the external expression. But the first time the word worship is ever used in Scripture is in the context of obedience to God. So we are the living worshipers. On the first day of Tishri, they gather together, and Ezra takes the word, and he begins to declare the commandments of God, the word of God, and he just reads it to the people. And as they're listening to the word, because it is written, how many know that God's word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword? When we just get under the word, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the more we hear it, the more we realize, wow, I am so untethered from what God wants. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. We speak the truth in love, season it with grace, but we speak the truth nonetheless. And when we hear the truth and we hear the word of God and we hear the grace of God, even in his word, it brings us to deep conviction. It's that place of preparing our hearts. So on that first day of Tishri, when he's declaring the word and speaking it, people realize how far they had become untethered to God and his will. And they began to weep. And out of that then comes a place of rejoicing because as we get our hearts ready and right, then God begins to do a work. So it is written. He begins to declare that. But it was interesting over the years, I felt like the Lord spoke to me years ago to do a teachings over again on Haggai chapter 2. And that talks about the 21st day of Tishri. And on the 21st day of Tishri this year happened to be October 7th. And here's the correlation, and I believe this is the enemy, because when light gets lighter, dark gets darker. We are to be those lighthouses in the midst of the storms of life, and the darkness, and the storms, and the seas, and the raging wars. We should be that light. But to do that, we have to make sure we get tethered back to God's Word and to that relationship with the Lord. So it's interesting on the 21st day of Tishri that I was already processing for 21 days from the beginning of Tishri because I like to pray that into saying, God, you're going to restore things. You're going to do things. But here's what he says in Haggai chapter 2. He says to Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua, and speak to all the people. 
Now, I pray in the context, that means I get to pray and speak over in the seen and unseen realm to pray that God would open the eyes of politicians and governmental authorities, that God would speak to the royal priesthood, which is we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that God would open up the eyes and awaken the church for an authentic outpouring of revival that we need like never before. And that all the people would hear the word of God through his people and through the manifestations of the manifest presence of God. In fact, the other day we were a part of a stand with Israel gathering an elderly woman. She comes up to me after the gathering of rabbis and Jews and Jewish leaders and pastors and leaders. And I had shared some things out of Haggai and the promise of standing with Israel and praying for Israel. And as your pastor said, it doesn't mean you have to agree politically. This is not a political thing of what we saw the horrendous, atrocious things that Hamas has done, hiding behind a people. But there's an ideology, and there always has been in seen and unseen realms, to destroy Israel and also to hate and destroy the church. We see that in the book of Jude, and I won't get into that now, because there will be a blatant attack on the Word of God and on the Lord himself. And we see that being lived out. This woman comes up to me and She wanted me to hug her, and she's just like, I've been going to synagogue for 35 years, and what I've been Jewish my whole life, but tonight, because what I've seen displayed, I I sense the, the ruach, I sense the spirit. I've been to other gatherings to stand with Israel. There's something about... Being facilitated and and by you Christians and and things I didn't realize and hearing for your heart for Israel for the Jews I feel closer to Christians tonight than ever before because she felt the ruach and we know the ruach means the Holy Spirit it means the spirit the breath the fire the wind of God we look at Acts chapter two it was the tongues of fire like a rushing mighty wind that's the ruach of God and some things we don't have to it convince people if they sense the presence of the Ruach, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what we need more than ever. That's why we have to be tethered. But he says to Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, the governmental authorities of the day, to speak to Joshua, the, the priesthood, and speak to the people. And he says, I want you to be strong. Keep working because my spirit is with you. And then he says, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't walk in fear, but remember my covenanted promises with you. And then he says again, because my spirit is with you. Now he's saying that, and you think, well, why would he say that on the 21st day of Tishri? Why would he say that to Haggai to say to all these people? Because he says, because when I shake heaven and earth, sea and dry land, if you remember those things I just said, then the circumstance won't dictate to you your response. Because you have to know that be strong. Keep doing what I called you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't walk in fear. We are a people of faith, not of fear. We don't want to be overwhelmed by anxiety and stress. We need to make sure that ours are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith as believers, if we're going to be strong and keep doing what God's called us to do because his spirit is with us and that we don't walk in fear, but we walk in faith. We don't walk by fear, but we walk by what we believe God has already promised. So we remember his covenanted promises with Israel, and to those of us that are grafted in, and even individually, because with the gleaning principles, that there are things as we pray on the corporate context, God wants to do for us individually. There are breakthroughs that you need. Your, your personal needs is not too big for God. God's not just worried about the global crisis. He's also concerned about you and for me. 
and how we come together because with one fishing pole, I can catch a fish. But together, in agreement together and focused on Jesus, we can do a whole lot more together because it's about being a mended net and not being a lone ranger. Right now, more than ever, it might be nice going windsurfing and surfing by yourself. But during the storms of life, we better be connected to the ocean liner, to the congregation that we flourish where we're planted. We need to be connected, become part of something bigger than ourselves. And this is a time more than ever not to disparage people being in the congregation and being a part of church, but it's a time we need to gather together more than ever and to quit fighting each other. Put aside our weapons of warfare, it says in, in Micah. Put aside your weapons of warfare, turn them into harvesting tools together. And then the outcast, the lame, and the sick will become a strong nation. Now he's speaking literally of Zion. He's speaking literally of Israel but it's also a spiritual context for us that we need to take those principles and apply them even in the church if we're going to be strong and to give strength to bring forth what God is wanting to do in his promises. So he says all those things because I'm going to shake heaven and earth. We see in Hebrews chapter 12, that the New Testament correlation, that everything is going to be shaken. Well, we've been seeing that going on and on. In fact, at the end of 2022, I was crying out to God. I kept getting a reoccurring awakening from the Lord and kept hearing it over and over. And one of the things I kept hearing was three distinct words from the Lord. I'd go back to sleep. I'd get these three words and get up. And it's like this overwhelming sense of trepidation in some ways. Because God says, I'm about to expose and to spotlight. Expose what is done in darkness in my church. Expose what is done in darkness in the halls of politics. I'm going to begin to expose things all around. But I'm going to also spotlight what is being done correctly after my righteousness. To those who thought that they were serving God and nobody cared, God says, you don't worry about that. I'm going to expose darkness, but I'm going to spotlight my righteousness. And the second word I kept getting was implosions. That God was going to let things be so imploded in things that we put our trust in, in institutions and structures, in the church and outside the church, politics, from the pulpit to political offices, from preachers to politicians, all in between, banking systems. There's going to be an implosion because people have leaned on structures more than on the Lord. But out of that, God says, when all that is taking place, I'm about to pour out explosions. Explosions in two ways. Literal explosions would begin to take place. We'd see things that would overwhelm us, but God says, but my dunamis presence, my suddenly dunamis explosion will also take place. Then we began to see in January God's dunamis manifestation at Asbury. Dunamis explosions of God's presence that during the time of Asbury, things were happening in College Station, in Waco, at Baylor, and universities across America. It was not just a suddenly in one spot. God was doing something in multiple places. That tells me God knows. God is still God. He knows things are going on, and he's in control. The synchronicity of God, what I mean by that is not synchronicity with the religions of the world, but God has a way of taking what seems to be unrelated in a moment and to bring them all connected together for a moment. If we look at over 80-something times the word suddenly is used in Scripture, but it's not suddenly to God. It's suddenly to us. If you look at Acts chapter 2, and suddenly the Holy Spirit came down like a rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire. It seemed like a suddenly, but watch this. It wasn't suddenly to God because all the nations of the world had to be represented in Jerusalem 
on that Pentecost because they were there celebrating the feasts of what God had told them to celebrate of their wilderness journey and God's word that was given at Mount Sinai, God's promises over the years. It was their way of coming and to have celebration of what God had done. And if God had been faithful, then God will be faithful now. So all the religious folk of every known nation of the world was represented in Jerusalem. What a great time to get 120 people with thousands of people there, but he took 120 people in an upper room, focused in worship, restoring the altar of worship. And in a suddenly to them, but not a suddenly to God, in a place that everything had already been put together because God had already established his synchronicity. He had already put all these things together, seeming unrelated, and he thought, this is a good time. Upper room, 120, worshiping me, pour out my Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2. But as he does that, in a city that had every known nation represented, thousands came to the Lord within a day. Every revival, every awakening comes in the midst of something that is going on in the world that is not easy to comprehend. Our hearts are overwhelmed, but God says, that's a good time for me to show up. And that's what we're praying, that God will do the same. So it says that be strong, keep working, because I'm with you. Don't walk in fear. Remember my covenanted promises. If God's been faithful then, he'll be faithful now because my spirit is with you. Sea and dry land, heaven and earth, everything being shaken. But when all that takes place and you've got your focus, he says the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. So the 21st day of Tishri is a reminder to the Jews, but should be a reminder to us that no matter how much things are being shaken, all that is being shaken, there is something we can hold on to in Hebrews 12, that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. Everything can be shaken. There can be exposures, implosions, but we're part of an unshakable kingdom. And this is our moment. I believe it's our dunamis moment. It's our kairos moment where we need to be strong in the Lord and remember his covenanted promises. Don't walk in fear but in faith because God's spirit remains with us. And so it was also the Friday night, October 6th, was the ending of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, which also was a reminder for the attendees of all then the Feast of Tabernacles that they were the representation of how God provided even in the desert. Even when they were murmuring and complaining, God took care of them for 40 years. And so it was interesting how when the spirit of death and hatred that came from Hamas, that in their charter says death to the Jew, they teach their children from the time they're young that Jews are like animals. You can kill them, stab them, mutilate them, do whatever you want to them, and death to America? Really what they're saying is death of the church because up till now the church has been the greatest influence in America that has stood with Israel and the church has been those who stood to the, for the Bible but we find more and more that even professing Christians don't even believe the word of God anymore. God's calling us to say, it is written, get back to my word because on the day of Yom Kippur, it starts out Tishri 1, the first day, it is written, 10th day, Yom Kippur, and they say, it is sealed. So in other words, what God has written, God has sealed. And they say what happens in those first 10 days of Tishri really set the tone for the future for the rest of the year. God is trying to set the tone in us that no matter what's going on in the world, that we can remind ourselves it is written, get in his word, and remember that it is sealed. We've been sealed by the spirit of adoption by which we call God Abba, Father.
I'm going to read out of something I wrote back in 2000 after being in Israel during Intifada, having 1,500 people that were part of an all-nations convocation. It was a beautiful picture of Micah chapter 4 that all the nations were gathered in Israel at the Mount of the Lord in Zion. But we were there to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the peace of the Middle East. We were gathering in a convocation, leaders from all over the world, 1,500 of us. And all of a sudden, Intifada started. We could see from our tower at the hotel, we could see Bethlehem and the, and the rockets and the fires and the conflicts going in and out. And we began to see, and Bethlehem was taken over by the radicals, and now it's no longer a Christian community, it's a Muslim community. We saw from Old City, Jerusalem, we could see there, we could see what was happening there, and it could be overwhelming. We decided, no, let's not let the fear overtake us by the flesh. Let's get back into God's Word. We're here and we have the authority to pray for the peace and the manifestation of God's presence, like the Bible says right now. I saw firsthand some of the things I began to process it, and I just want to read something I wrote in one of my books in the aftermath of that, in my book called In Search of a Father's Blessing, in that particular book. And I said, when the Intifada began, we began thinking about the conflict in relation to the reasons we were there to worship God. But I go on to say, in fact, the conflict dates all the way back to Abraham and is rooted in much woundedness and bitterness. So I want to give context to what we're seeing right now. And let me just say this. The land and what's happening in Gaza, I get messages from friends that that are Arabs and Jews and Christians because there is a large Arab population that works and lives in Israel. Gaza was given over to the Palestinians, and then Hamas took over and never left. Hamas is funded by, along with Hezbollah in Lebanon. Lebanon, by the way, was a Christian nation at one time. Got taken over because people began to think, oh, it's not that bad. And then all of a sudden, once radical people take over, like Hezbollah or Hamas, they will never give it back over without fighting and conflict. Lebanon, once a Christian nation, I have a lot of friends in Lebanon, a lot of people from Lebanon. It used to be a Christian nation. To see what it is today is a stark contrast to what it once was just a few decades ago. And so everybody needs to point the fingers. They want to blame Israel and blame America and ultimately blame the church. Conflict goes way back. It's rooted in bitterness. In fact, let me just say this, that when people look at the land of Palestine, there was never a people group called Palestinians. And I have friends that say they're Palestinian. I know people there. I know many have come to Christ. I have friends in Arab sectors of the Middle East, and they love the Lord. And that's where the answer comes from, that we need to make sure that we represent Christ in the midst of these things, because the only thing that will change generations of bitterness and woundedness and hatred will come through the Son of God's love in Colossians 1, because we all have an inheritance that has been given to us through God, through the Son of His love. And so we see that the history here, because Islam did not even get started till over 600 plus years after Jesus. The land of Palestine is a land, but it's not a people group called Palestinians. Many come from other nations. They're nomadic. And if you look at the land of Israel today, what it once was under the nomadic influence of people that just lived there, nobody wanted to live. It was desert. There was no vegetation. There was nothing lush about it. But when Israel came back and began to come after the Balfour Declaration in 1917, and the scripture says, Jesus said, that when you see the budding of the fig tree, know that the time is coming near. The budding forth is up until 1907, there was no Israel 
in the sense of Israel having its land because they had been booted out and destroyed by Babylon, by Rome, by so many others over the years. So they were scattered the four corners of the earth. So you saw the Holocaust, the hatred, that even when they didn't have their own homeland, they were being hated and sent to the gas chambers and, and killed because people hated the Jews. There was something deeper than just a, a people group. They hated the Jews for a reason. But in 1907, then of course 1948, we see that finally the United Nations acknowledged that this land belonged to the Jews, that it is the homeland of Israel. So it's not something that they took from anybody else. It was already God's promise. In fact, if you look in the book of Amos, chapter 9, verse 15, it actually says that I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now Amos, when he wrote that, was probably around 560 B.C. And then around 2000 B.C., when Abraham was there, and the blessing came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who Jacob became Israel, God gave a promise in about almost nearly 2000 B.C. We're talking about over 4,000 years ago. So we can look at history, and you can look that up, and, but I want to give you some context. It is not a land that was taken from anybody. It's a land that was given by God, and they were able to regather there. And in fact, when they moved back in, now you see vegetation. So many things that we are beneficiaries of is because God has blessed Israel. Amen? But I wrote this down. Abraham had one son, Ishmael, with Sarah's servant, Hagar. One son was Isaac, and that was a Sarah, his wife. And he had six sons with someone named Keterah, the concubine he married after Sarah's death. So in other words, he had more children through Keterah than he did with Hagar or with Sarah. But yet God gave a promise that my covenant promise will be through your son Isaac. In Genesis 21:14, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away to live in the desert, but God promised Hagar that a great nation would come from Ishmael. His descendants are the modern-day Arabs. Abraham also sent away the sons of Keturah, and historians say they settled in Persia, which is now modern-day Iran, Assyria, which includes the regions of modern-day Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Syria, northern Jordan, and parts of western Afghanistan, and parts of northern India. Although God blessed all of Abraham's sons and provided for them, Isaac was the son of promise, the one who received Abraham's blessing and inheritance from God according to biblical scripture. Now, when I think about that, and you look at generational curses because of wounds of bitterness, it's passed on. If you carry a root of bitterness, it's passed on to your children, your children's children. There's something in that kind of spiritual DNA that's passed on. You may not even know why. You may not know why you hate someone or a people group. It's because you've allowed not the Spirit of God to dictate to us who we are and who people are. We've allowed the bitterness and the wounds to begin to overtake even the Spirit of God in our lives. That's why we can't walk in that route. We have to uproot those things so we can be new creatures and creatures in Christ because we're no longer of the old man. We're a part of the one new man, the corporate body of Christ that doesn't have a dividing wall between us. But we are now not divided with Israel, but we're now grafted in because of the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But also we need to take that principle in our own personal lives so we don't carry those roots because it will be passed on to those around us and it affects others around us. So when you see what's happening right now, it's more about an ideology of hatred. Islamic radicalism 
in a form of hatred that it was carried on because, again, Islam didn't even start till 600-something years after Jesus. And it came out of trying to create a political religion and took some principles of Judaism, principles of Christianity, and created another religion. And we look at the history of now 2,000 years before Christ when the Abrahamic covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even though he had children that became the Arab nations and Kedera became Iran and Persia and all these other places, that all those years later you have older brothers, which is Kedera's son, one of his sons, and then you have Hagar, older brother hatred for younger brother who received the blessing. And if you look at even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob had a brother named Esau who became the Edomites because he married into his older brother Ishmael's heritage. So now you have the hatred of Ishmael, who's jealous of his younger brother who got the blessing. And then you have Esau, who's angry and frustrated because his brother Jacob, who became Israel, got the blessing. You take a double hatred, compound it through the Edomites, and that now has been transferred all these generations. So it's always been about woundedness, jealousy, envy. And that's what we need to pray into as we cry before God. As a reminder, the word says very clearly, Isaiah 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Isaiah 62, verse 1. But I love what verse 6 and 7 say. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give them no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. This anti-Semitism, it's a spirit of hatred. Jesus says if you hate your brother, it's like the spirit of murder. There is literally a spirit of murder. It will never be quenched or satisfied. And then when you got people, even our own country, who profess to be Americans or even Christians who are protesting Israel, and they believe a lie because they've listened to all these far-left professors and educators trying to reshape history. How many of us would ever say, when we've seen the Holocaust, we say, oh, if I was around then, I would not let that happen. But that's exactly what's happening today. It's Holocaust continued. And it continues to open a wound. And the only ally that Israel and the Jew has is for those of us to stand up for what is right. To stand up against injustice. So with the increasing resurgence of anti-Semitism, we Christians must not become complicit. What I mean is, are we guilty of one of two things? We can be those who are complicit by our acts against Israel, or we can also be complicit by our omission. So there is two sins, commission and omission. Commission is to do something against. Omission is not to do right when you know it's right to do something right. And to us, that's sin. I think a lot of what we're seeing in our own country is a sin of omission. People are afraid to say anything, lest you be canceled. If you say anything, people criticize you. Then at least if you don't want to say anything, and it's okay if you're feeling that sense of pressure at the job or, you know, you don't want to say certain things. Social media is not a great place because it, it gets taken out of context. 
but at least get behind those pastors who are courageous enough and get behind those who are courageous enough to say what you really want to say but can't. So at least get behind them, pray for them, undergird them, don't criticize. It's a time to help lift each other up, not tear each other down. So there is a sin of omission, our silence, that becomes a complacency and a compromise. I was telling some leaders the other day, the silence to me is deafening. Because during certain times, during COVID, and we saw the rioting on the streets of, of America and under different labels, it was okay to do that. It's okay to go in in some places of our country, to go into to stores and Walmarts and steal everything and nobody can do anything. Evil has become good and good has become evil. I've heard this said the other day, what we need is like the iron dome of civility. We need to get back to that place of realizing we can strongly disagree, but we can still be civil in our public discourse. And even as Christians, we have to be careful not to knee-jerk react when people are coming against us, but realize that we have an authority that's higher than the things that people are doing in what we call compensatory facade. They're compensating on the outside for the lack on the inside. They're expressing frustration and anger because they don't have the Spirit of God leading them. They don't have the Ruach of God guiding them. We need to be those who are led by the Holy Spirit. Zephaniah also reminds us that the Lord promises to restore his people and that he is in the midst of his people. In fact, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15 through 19 says, Do not fear. Now remember, as we're praying for Israel and for Zion, God's speaking to us. Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Zechariah says that God is a wall of fire protecting Israel. God is a wall of fire protecting us. And he's in our midst. But Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will deal with all who afflict you. Now watch this. Because God also reminds us through Zephaniah the prophet that God will deal with the nations or the gathering and leaders of the nations, the assembly of kingdoms who have been unjust towards Israel. Zephaniah 3.8 says, Therefore, wait upon me, says the Lord, until the day when I rise up for a witness, because my judgment shall be on the gatherings of the nations to draw to me kings to pour out upon them all my fierce anger for the whole earth shall be consumed with the fire of my jealousy. God is saying, I don't care if it's gathering of nations leaders or nations surrounding Israel like they try to do during the Six-Day War. It doesn't matter if they try to continue to come against them and try to create and terrorize them. It doesn't matter. God says that I will deal with that, including the United Nations or any gathering of nations that is unjust towards the right of Israel to exist. It's the only nation, the only nation that has had to survive on a small strip of land after being scattered all over the earth and the ethnic cleansing against the Jews because of historical, generational jealousy, envy, hatred. It comes out in what we saw. And some of these campuses trying to say it didn't happen. It's just propaganda. Look, you could look for yourself, but some of that stuff was put up by the terrorists, by the Hamas of what they did. They are justifying what they do because of their common hatred and generational hatred for the Jew. But if they come for the Jew, they'll come for us because we stand as beacons of hope in a lighthouse in a world that's dark. We stand for righteousness. God will prevail. He is still bigger than the giants. He's still bigger than the circumstances. This is our moment in time. For a time such as Esther in Iran, in Persia, modern-day Iran, 
When the spirit of Haman came, was bold enough to stand up to do the right thing, and God used her to turn the death and the decree of the spirit of Haman against a whole people group, and ultimately has taught us lessons that we can be a part of a time such as this, to stand for righteousness, shout it from the rooftops that we are Christians and we're not afraid to stand with Israel, and that we are those who are created for this moment at this time, no matter what it looks like around us, no matter what the world tries to do, that we are preparing for the coming of the Lord. We're closer than ever before. May the glory of the latter house be greater than the former. Father, I thank you that there's so much we can share in dates and history and all these things. I just pray that you would minister to our hearts personally, that we don't have to walk in fear, that we can be strong, we can keep doing what you've called us to do, because we know your spirit, your ruach is with us. We thank you we don't have to be in fear, but we are people of faith. We thank you that you remind us of your written word, and it's sealed. Your word is true, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, Lord, we know that in your covenanted promises with Israel and with your promises to us through Scripture, that we are grafted in, that we have a hope, the hope of glory Christ in us. Even as Colossians 1 says that all things are made to, through, for, and by Jesus, and which every principality, rulership, kingdom, and dominion is subject to you, Jesus, in the seen and unseen realm. So we know if you are King of kings and Lord of lords, which we believe, that we don't have to cower to the spirits of this world or the kingdoms of this world if we see it or don't see them in the seen and unseen realm, because we know we're part of an unshakable kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.